It'll be okay. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 17. Uh, what we've been doing is going through the book of Galatians, so we'll be back in that next week. But I thought it would be a good idea in light of Teddy's bap- baptism this morning to talk about why do we baptize infants? What is baptism anyway? What's, what's the big deal? And so that's what we're going to do. This morning we're going to read about Jesus' baptism to learn more about what baptism is. Because one of the things that happens when we baptize a, a, a young child, somebody who's not able to articulate why it is what we're doing, is that everyone wants to know why. Right? And so if you're here and you're, you're witnessing these things and you're not part of the church, you're not a Christian yet, it's... You know, why do you why do we do this? But it, I just want to say, if you're here and you don't know Christ, it's a great day because baptism pictures for you the very core of what we believe, right? that Jesus died for sinners. And so we'll talk more about what that means. But also, from my own experience, I you don't want to assume just because we're a Presbyterian church that everyone understands why we baptize the kids before they're able to articulate their own faith. I mean, the leaders do. But this is, it's not a, it, in some, one sense it's really simple, in other parts it's really hard to understand. And so I want to help us grow together in an understanding of what baptism is. Because what you're going to see is there's going to be water put on Teddy. There's nothing magical about this water. It's not, it's not going to get guarantee his place in heaven. Um, there's nothing magical about the particular ritual. Or about the man doing the baptism. Teddy's uncle's going to do it. Right? He, he might be a magical guy, but just because his uncle's doing it, <laughs> um, it doesn't guarantee. Right? We're, we're talking about baptism. It's God's idea. It's his plan. He's not forgiven just because we mark water on it. So we've got to talk about these things. Because, I mean, I'm sure you figured this out if you've been around the church at all, there are whole denominations formed over this issue. Baptists, <laughs> right, the Bible-believing, they love the same Jesus, they preach the same gospel, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet we disagree on these things, so I think it would be helpful to talk about it, because all Christians believe in baptism, we just fight over and disagree politely <laughs> over the when. So, this is what we're going to do, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism, and, and just in the interest of full disclosure before we read, I'll tell you my story so you know where I'm coming from, I think this would be helpful. Um, I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up not first as a Presbyterian pastor's kid, but as a Baptist pastor's kid. Um, my dad was a pastor in these small independent Baptist churches until I was 11. And when I was 11, we moved from western New York to Philadelphia for dad to go to seminary. And me and all three of my siblings were baptized in the Reformed Episcopal Church. So that was me at 11 down to my youngest sister as a baby. So my parents' views changed. And so at that point, my understanding was probably the general view that baptism is something you do after you profess faith in Christ. And as I got older and got to college and started to think about these things, I got these books handed to me, Why Do We Baptize Infants? I have some for you. I'll give them to you if you're interested. And I confess that I could see the general idea, but it was still a fuzz. Right? It was a haze. I didn't quite understand why. But, but what I did, 
I don't know why, but I did. I trusted my dad and the leaders of the church and said that they understand the Bible and that this, is, this isn't something they're doing for fun. It's not something they made up, that they found it in the scriptures. And because I didn't have kids, there wasn't any pressure yet. <laughs> but what changed for me was seeing the, the Bible as one big story as a whole with Jesus at its center. And <coughs> some of my experience then in ministry as the, the pieces started to came together was I got hired as a youth pastor at a Baptist church who had hired a PCA, a Presbyterian church planner. And then we worked together for the next three years in a church that was for 100 years part of a Baptist church joined our denomination. That's down in Cortland. And they joined peacefully. So these conversations I've had a lot. Um, and one of the ways that we worked together to do this was to take several well, several years to talk about how the Bible is one story. It's God's covenant. Um, and I say all this because if you're here and you're struggling with trying to understand why, is so that you know it, it takes time for the pieces to come together. For some of us, it's, it's like a light bulb. It makes sense. We just do it. It's fine. We see it in the scriptures. And for others, God opens our eyes over time as he puts these pieces together. And so I just want to encourage you if, you, if you get all done today and you haven't been convinced, right, take time. It's okay. It is here in the scriptures. This is something we do because we want to honor what we believe God is calling us to do. So let's read it. This is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. This is God's word. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up from the water, and behold, 
the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you would open our eyes to to see and better understand Jesus' baptism, which was done for us. So I ask that you would send your spirit to open our minds to teach us, to show us how Jesus' baptism is, is showing us the heights and the depths of his love for us. And then use this time to motivate us to even greater faithfulness as we see you fight for us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So that's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be somewhat of a teaching sermon. where We're going to look at the whole story of the Bible to try and piece together using Matthew chapter 3 as our launching pad so we can better understand baptism. Because if you just pick up and read in Matthew, if you've never read this before, and everyone's going out baptizing, it's just a weird place to start. Like you would if you pick up a novel and you start in the middle, right? It, you're not going to understand what's going on. And so we got to become familiar with this language. we got to become familiar with the, the theological way that we talk about these things. Because when you do, you get to see a beautiful picture of how much God loves us and loves you in Christ. Right? So one of the things we believe and teach as the Protestant church is that there are only two sacraments that Jesus himself told us to do. Baptism, which you're going to see this morning, and the Lord's Supper. They're explicitly commanded for us to do. And a sacrament, using the language of our uh, confession, is a, a sign and a seal of the new covenant. So you think about it this way. It's a sign of what Jesus has done and accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. And so think of a, think of a sign. It's a picture. Right? You see a sign while you're driving on the road, and it says, you better slow down because there's a giant left turn coming. You, you can't go faster than 15. That sign's only helpful if it corresponds to reality. And so if the sign says turn left and the road turns right, it's not going to go well for you. It's only helpful if it corresponds to, to reality. And that's what baptism is designed to do. It's designed by God to be a picture that you can see with your senses, you can feel, you can touch of what God has done for you in Christ, of how you're related to God, right? of, of how you belong to him and how you're attached to Jesus by faith. So we, we get all done today. Just remember that baptism is a picture that communicates who God is and how you relate to him. But it's also a seal. Think of it like, like a king's seal, saying this is an official document. I, I like to think of it but more as an, an engagement ring. If, if you have an engagement ring, it means you're, you're looking forward to the relationship that will be. That's what baptism is. It's like an engagement ring saying you are taken. God has marked you to be his own in the future. So it's a picture, it's a seal. You've got to keep these in mind then as we come to our text because it'll, it'll help you understand, as I use this language, 
But really, it's, it's what the way the Bible talks about it as well. I'm not making this up. So very first thing we see, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along, uh, that baptism is important. And it's, it's kind of common sense. If we're going to do it, so we're showing you it's important. But it, it is helpful to see this. If you look at verse 11, where John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Right, so, we, so we read this story about John the Baptist. <laughs> and John the Baptist had one sermon. The Lord is coming, and he's coming to judge, so get ready. I mean, that's what it said all over and over again in different ways, that when the Lord comes, when the Messiah comes, he's going to judge sin. He's going to deal with, with people who've ignored him, who've hated him, who've hurt one another. He's going to make everything right, what is wrong with the world. So repent, because the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's at hand. It's here now. Confess your sins. Get ready. God is coming. That's what it says in verse 3. And so... Just like you would clean house, probably obsessively, um, if you knew that the president was coming to eat dinner with you. John's saying the same idea. God himself, the king, the only king that matters, your creator, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to divide the world in two, those that are with him, that belong to him, and those who do not. The wheat are going to be separated from the chaff. Judgment is coming. Right, so if you follow the train of thought through the passage, you got John the Baptist preaching his one sermon. He's, he's eccentric. He's yelling. He's telling people, God is coming. Get ready. Confess your sin. And then be baptized. And this is the context that Jesus shows up and said, John, I want you to baptize me. Now you can see then why Jesus would be offended, or why John would be offended. He's saying, Jesus, you're the one who's supposed to baptize me. You're the one I'm talking about. You're not a sinner. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says, no, it's important. It's fit, fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And one of the things John cannot get his mind wrapped around is why the Messiah would have to be baptized if, he is, if there's no fault with him. If there's nothing wrong with him, if he's not a sinner like you and me. But this is what Jesus says. You have to baptize me. It's important. It's a big deal. So you think of it this way. Jesus' baptism, Jesus' ministry starts with his baptism. It culminates with his baptism at, at his death, which I'll explain what that means later. And the book of Matthew ends with a baptism. He says, go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is important. It's the bottom line. Which I would say, then, if, if you haven't been baptized and you're a believer, you're an adult, and you're a Christian, Jesus is saying this is something you should consider. You should do. You should act on. Come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about this. Right? So that's point one. Baptism is important. It's important to everyone. Our Baptist brothers and sisters would agree on this. It's a big deal. Second, we see here that baptism is part of a bigger story. It's part of the whole story of the Bible. Right? 
So we picked up in kind of a strange spot. You think about it. I mean, why in the world would people go out, leave their homes, go out into the desert wilderness to see this guy who's dressing odd, to be told that they're moral failures, that God is a God of justice, you know, get your life in order. And it, it, everyone there obviously understands something because they're leaving their homes. I mean, it'd be like us in mass going out into the Adirondacks to hear a preacher talk like this. <laughs> and this is not obviously not something that's popular in our culture today. Back in the 50s when Billy Graham was doing his thing, millions of people came to hear him. Eight years ago, Franklin Graham, his son, came to Binghamton, and every conversation I had with my secular coworkers, they had no desire to go and hear how, how they're broken, that they're sinners, and that God is real. And so, I mean, I say all that is because the people in John's day had an understanding of who God is, that he is a God of justice. And they understood something about baptism that we, we probably don't think about very often. That it's connected to a bigger story. And it really is a story of judgment. And this is the bad news side of the gospel. For the, for the gospel to be good news, you have to hear the bad news. And so I've got these passages listed for you. You can read them later. But think about it this way. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5, Paul says everyone who went through the Red Sea following Moses was baptized. And so if you've ever seen the movies, you've re read the sto Exodus story, you know, God redeemed Israel from slavery, from Egypt, and he carried them to the Red Sea, and he parted the waters. They walked through on dry land. And everybody there in the Red Sea was baptized, both Israelite and Egyptian. And God's judgment fell. And all those who were marked by grace, by the blood of the Lamb, walked through on dry land, were saved. And the Egyptians were immersed. They were drowned. And Paul says that was a baptism. That... That everyone who went through the waters were submitting to God, saying, you are either with me or you are not with me. It was the point where God said to Israel, you are mine. And if you know the story, as soon as Israel gets to the other side, all they can do is sing and celebrate that God in his kindness had protected them. That God fought for us. And just think about this. Baptism really is, according to the scriptures, a baptism, um, it's a judgment event. And Paul's not the only one who says that. That to be baptized is to go through and submit yourself and throw yourself on God's mercy. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, he describes the flood in Genesis 6 as a, as a baptism. And it's the same pattern, right? God sees that everybody's heart is wicked from birth. It's evil. It's turned in on themselves. And only those marked by grace who received God's favor came through the event unscathed. Everyone else was destroyed. 
It's a picture of passing from death through life through God's judgment. To put all this together, just like the later event of the Red Sea, water is being used to separate, to divide into two groups of people. Those marked by God and his grace and those who have, who are not. And it's not separating the good from the bad. There's a big difference. It's those who've received God's kindness and those who have not. So if you think about it, baptism is a sign that corresponds to spiritual reality. And even as we baptize little Teddy and our hearts are warm because he's cute and it's a beautiful moment, um, it's it's an act of judgment. We're saying we're going to put his hands, put this little boy, and say we're going to trust the sovereign mercy of our Lord to chase him down. God's justice is a real thing. So every baptism, the baptism is part of a bigger story. This is what the people in John's day understood. That the only difference between Noah and his family and everyone else was kindness, patience. And then the only difference between Israel and Egypt, it it wasn't ethnic differences. I mean, it was a mixed group of people. It was all those covered by the blood of the Lamb. And so when John says, guess what? God is coming. He's coming with judgment. You have to go through water. Everyone had these, these things in the back of their mind. That when God comes, he's going to judge. He's going to put people through the water. And they're saying, God, when they confess their sins, they're saying, God, we deserve your justice. Give us your mercy. We're trusting that you're a God who doesn't play favorites. He doesn't judge by the face. We're just throwing ourselves at your feet, which is a very humbling thing to do. Do you see it? Baptism is a story. It's telling the story of how God is gathering to himself a people that he might rejoice and delight in. And he marks them through baptism. He's saying, you are mine. I love you because I love you. Here's the sign. You've come through. And so this is what happens with Jesus. He goes through the waters of baptism and God's judgment falls down. And we always think of it as a bad thing. But Jesus passed the test. God says, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased something we can't even imagine. All we can think of is judgment and fear, and Jesus goes through the judgment of the waters. God himself pours out his heart and says, you are mine. There's nothing wrong with you. It's setting Jesus apart. You are mine. I love you. So this is part of a bigger story. Jesus understood this the same way, that judgment is... That baptism is judgment. It's the way God divides the world. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verses 49 and following. This is Jesus, gentle Jesus speaking. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it would already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. 
Do you think that I come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, I come to bring division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And all he's saying is that when people come to faith in me, they're going to be different from those around them. My baptism will split the world in half. Baptism is judgment. Saying, God, claim me as your own. So, this is what we see. Water baptism is important. It's part of this bigger story, the whole story of the Bible, really, of how God is marking out a people for his own, how he wants you and me to be marked by his grace. Baptism is a way that God has marked and protected and preserved his people. Now, at this point, baptism doesn't sound like fun. It's, it, it, honestly, it's terrifying, right? To say, I am going to throw myself at the feet of a sovereign God who knows absolutely everything I've done in thought, word, and deed, and trust that he's going to be nice to me. Why would anyone want to go through that judgment, and why are we going to smile as we see Teddy be baptized? Why are we going to celebrate? Right? And so you've got to remember that a sacrament is a sign, it points to, and it's a picture of spiritual reality. And I know this. God's wrath is not a popular thing unless you've been sinned against and not been able to get justice. Hmm. Those two things I want you to consider if you're really struggling with this whole idea that saying this is just a big bummer, I don't want to be feel guilty. If you get rid of a God who is just, you're never going to be able to step into a place like Syria and look at a family who's lost members to violence, who is completely helpless to the evil in this world, and say it's going to be okay. Because it will not be unless you believe in a God of justice who will, who will make all things right. And second, and this is the cool thing, for you personally, for me, the joy that you and I, and the power that you and I experience in being known by God really is directly related to how much you take judge, God's judgment seriously. Right? Think about it. If, if it's God's job to love you and forgive you no matter what, because that's just who he is, this gentle grandfather in the sky who never, who never frowns at you outside of Christ. You're not going to be in awe of the fact that he cares about you. There's going to be no power. There's not going to be any awe. It's not going to drive you to him. Right? To say, God, I can't believe I'm here. This is incredible. I should have I been with the Egyptians. <laughs> Those kind of thoughts will, will turn you into somebody who can't stop talking about Jesus. And it frankly will help you fight temptation. It will help you change. Right. Think about it. The God, baptism is a sign of 
a spiritual reality that God's wrath is real and just. And this baptism is a sobering reminder that we need good news. We really do. And so let me ask you, would submitting to baptism, would it be good news for you if you're bringing your own resume to the table? I'll ask you three questions. You ready? Have you always believed that God is good and for you, always willing to give you what you need, even if your circumstances don't look like it? Or do you get anxious and angry like me? Or do you believe that God is real and good even if you can't or aren't experiencing his protection right now? I can reverse that same question and say, if you knew there was something you could do to prove without a shadow of a doubt that God is a good father and he would protect you by jumping off a bridge, would you do it? Probably. Possibly. If you knew for a sat- without a shadow of a doubt that God would show up dramatically and prove to the world once and for all, he's real, God's not dead. Here another question. Is the dignity and honor that you and I have by being made in God's image enough for you? Just being God's child. Or do you have to fight for significance and attention in any way possible? I think this is true of everyone here, myself included, that our story will be one of looking at God with suspicion because of what he's brought us through. And because it's in our hearts. God is God, and he's a father, and he's good. Now, here's what I want you to see, the third point. That baptism, it really is a sign and a seal of hope, of good news, of how Jesus' story becomes your story. And your story becomes Jesus' story. Baptism is important. It's commanded. It's part of this bigger story. So look at, look at verses 13 to 17, Jesus' baptism. He passes through the waters, and he comes out the other side. On his own merits, God says, you are my beloved son. It's not just that you pass the test. It's I, I'm thrilled by looking at you. I'm so glad you are mine. And there are two scriptures that God uses to describe Jesus. One is Psalm 2-7. You are my son. Talking about the king, the one who's going to make right what is wrong with the world. He's going to bring justice to the nations. And it also combines Isaiah 42. You are my servant with whom I am delighted. I'm going to pour out my servant on this spirit who's then going to bring justice to the nations. And here's the beautiful thing. That same son, that same servant, is the, one of, is the same person of Isaiah 53. Where God says, this person is going to bear judgment and wrath for the sake of God's people. For you, for me says he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. 
And so when you see Jesus stepping up to the plate, so to speak, to be baptized, this is what's happening. This is why it's good news and why I want to smile when I see Teddy baptized. It's because when Jesus says to John, it's important. He's saying, I have to be baptized in order to do what no other human being has ever been able to do, which is believe that God is good no matter what I go through, even to hell itself, and perfectly keep God's law the whole time. And I'm going to do it for you, for, for all those, for, for my people whom I love. Think about those, those three questions I asked. All I did was ask you the same questions that Satan asked Jesus. I just changed the wording. I don't know if you caught it. And if you, you read the next part of the book, that, that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes out, tempted and tested in every way possible that you could think of, in, in extreme need. Jesus says, God is enough. My Father is good. I'm not going to disobey or not trust him or put him to the test. So you look at this. Jesus is saying, I'm here to be baptized so that I can go through the baptism of judgment for you. And at the same time, I'm being baptized as I bind myself to you, promising to live the life you could never live. Can I say it this way? Jesus is being baptized so that you could receive his baptism. So you could have those words said to you. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's why Jesus died. Jesus says my death is a baptism in Luke 12. So that all those who believe and put their faith in Jesus are given... What we see here in Matthew 13, the spirit coming on you, God and his love being poured out into your hearts, the spirit of sonship, where God becomes your father, and you receive an infinite and eternal love that can never be taken away. Earned through Jesus, who fulfilled all righteousness for you by being good, by being perfect. It's the way God says you are mine no matter what. Now trust me. It's the way Jesus' story becomes your story, by faith. That's Romans 6, 3, and 4. Do you not know that all those who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? So you have died if you trust in Jesus. And you also now live with him. His story is your story. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he didn't walk out alone. So here's how we're going to conclude. I know this is, this is a lot because we've, we've looked at a big picture view that, that baptism is important. It's part of a story of judgment, but it's actually pointing to the story of grace, that God wants to be your father as we run away and look at the son that he sent to live for you. And every baptism that we witness, whether a child or an adult, is designed to show us the reality of God, the infinite, relentless wrath of God that fell on Christ so that you and I might have the infinite and relentless love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That is a sign and seal. That's absolutely true. <laughs> it's what it tells you right here in his word. 
So that's what I'd say. If you have not put your faith in Christ, God's judgment is real. Look at, look, looking run to the Savior says, come to me. You are welcome. I want you to be mine. Come and receive the, the mark. And if you're a kid, all right, this is the, real, the grand question. Why, why do we baptize our infants? If you look through the whole story of the Bible, the timing of baptism is not always tied to the moment of faith. Right? The power of the baptism is not tied exactly to when they believe. I said that right. It's just saying that you don't have to be baptized immediately after you believe. Look at, it, look at Israel. They were baptized, and almost none of them believed. They died in the desert. You say, that's the Old Testament. What about the New? Read the book of Acts. There are those who all of a sudden start speaking in tongues as they hear Jesus, the story of Jesus. Nobody can deny that God has shown up and is now with them. And so they get baptized. And then there are others who, well, were baptized, heard about sin and judgment, and they didn't yet get the Holy Spirit. They got that later, which is what happens with our kids. Is what, that's what our prayer is. Which is the point is that baptism, it's a sign and seal pointing forward it's calling us to look forward to the moment when Teddy will believe. It's astounding. We baptize our kids, discipling them in the hope that they will one day believe in Jesus' baptism. His parents are basically saying, we are engaging Teddy to the Lord, waiting for this relationship to actually show up in real life, in the future. And for Teddy, which is good news, the sign of this covenant isn't circumcision, it's baptism. It's bloodless because Christ's blood has been spilled. And so if you look at that quote in the bulletin, there, there really is no beauty. It's just an astounding picture when you see a little kid coming forward to be baptized, to be marked by something they do not understand because it shows you that God, through his grace and sovereign power, saves him the same way he saves you when we're helpless and hopeless completely unaware. And this, God says, is a means of grace, drawing you closer to him. So, this is what I would say to you who have been baptized, all those who have the Holy Spirit, we're called to respond this morning with greater love and awe and faithfulness. And if you have not responded, you do not have the Holy Spirit, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is going to be an invitation through a picture saying God wants to be your father in Christ. And the good news is his love for you is not based on what you've done or what you will do. It's based on his son. Trust him. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we, we ask that our baptisms in the past for those of us who are believers would be effective pictures of your grace to us. And so those who have been baptized and who know you and have heard the good news that you will call us your own, you say you are delighted with us despite our faults and failures, I pray that would be a power to fight temptation, to, to not trust you, even as we go through hard times. And I pray for those who have been baptized or who have not been baptized and who have not professed faith in their 
merciful Savior? Would they be drawn to him? Most of all, we ask that we would rejoice and look in awe at what you've done for us as we celebrate this baptism this morning. May your spirit be here and working. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.